The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Amen. Thank you, Rochelle. Each week, I'm surprised then to find out more talents and talents that people have in this church and that can certainly be used for His glory. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant grace and mercy towards us. We gather here at this church as a family to honor you with our hearts full of gratitude. Thank you again for letting us be here. We thank you for the gift of your word, and we ask that you again open our hearts, our minds to hear your word. And I ask that you give me wisdom to preach your word just the way it is, and not to add or subtract anything from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to spend some time in the book of 1 John today, so just, if you have a Bible, please just turn that way and keep your finger there. We'll be flipping back and forth. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of doubt, dealing with doubt. One of my favorite books is a book entitled The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Anybody read that book? And it talks about, it's an allegory, you know, sometimes think pastors or preachers, they only read theology books. No, we read, or they should read other material as well. And it's an allegory about the Christian life, a journey from the cross, you know, to all the way to heaven, celestial city, and about the difficulties, obstacles that come in the Christian life. And then he points this to experience, it's called the Doubting Castle. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the book, but it's a doubting castle. Him and the Christian and his friend Hopeful get stuck in this castle. It's called the doubting castle, and the only way out was to be, you know, there's no way out. He's stuck in this doubting castle, and the only way out is to suicide. And he was contemplating, but then he said, wait a minute. I have a key in my pocket that unlocks all doors in this doubting castle. Anybody remember what the key was? He was the promise. And what's the promise? And the promise is in 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. You see, you only doubt what you believe. And so it's possible to have doubts in our lives. We can doubt many things. You know, everybody knows the story of doubting Thomas, right? Right? We just... But we say doubt, that's probably what you thought about this morning and probably where I was going to be preaching from, but no. We all know John the Baptist. You guys know John the Baptist. He was a man who lived for the Lord all his life. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. Uh, He gave his life to the Lord as a young man. He was proclaiming the gospel of the Lord. John it was the man who confronted the nation of Israel with its sin and preached the message of repentance, which was not popular in that day, and it's not popular this day. This is the guy who went to the Pharisees and said, you know, you're a generation of snakes and so forth. He's the one that chased down King Herod and said, hey, the woman you're with, you shouldn't be with her and so forth. So he had all this zeal, and he was preaching, proclaiming Jesus is coming. He said, He who is coming after me is mightier than I 
whose sandals I'm not even worthy of carrying. And then when Jesus came to get baptized by John, he said, no, 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 Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? So we clearly see that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. We clearly see that. But then we find John in a prison, in a dungeon. And he hears about Christ and his works. And he sends two of his disciples that follow him and with a question to Jesus. You guys remember the question? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Why the doubt? He's in dungeon. And sometimes our emotions... He fell, fell out, the bottom fell out emotionally. Sometimes our emotions play a part in this whole matter of doubt. So we can doubt many things, but today in particular, I want to talk about the matter of doubting your salvation. You know, I do some hospital visits and dealing with the youth in the past. That is the main doubt that Christians have. With the youth, they come to Christ and then they think because they fell down once or twice, can't get back up and they're doubting that they're ever even saved. And that's the trick the devil would like to use. But doubting your salvation is like driving with your parking brake on. You're not going to get very far in your Christian growth if you doubt your salvation. The heartache, the anguish that doubt causes when you wonder if you really have been saved. Hey, I came, I repented, and so forth, but am I really saved? You know, a woman told the great evangelist, uh, Dwight Moody, she said, I've been saved for 25 years, and I never had a single doubt. And he said, Madam, I doubt that you've been saved. That would be like saying, you've been married for 50 years, and you never had an argument. I doubt that you've been married. Now, if you look in 1 John 5.13, he says these words. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of Son of God, that you may know, not if, buts, or maybes, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, John wrote the epistles, the one, two, three. And he wrote the Gospel of John. If you turn to John 20, 31, it says, But these are, uh, these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is, he wrote this to evangelize to the sinner. But he wrote the epistles, one, two, three. It's almost a postscript, a PS, if you would, to edify the saints. And one of the things he wants you to do is to have assurance of your salvation. I'm not talking about eternal security today, so don't get those mixed up. I'm talking about assurance of your salvation. Again, in John 1, 5, 13, he says, These things I have written to you to believe in the same God, that you may know that you have eternal life. When I read this passage, it tells me two things. You can be saved and know it, and you can be saved and doubt it. Because if you couldn't doubt it, why would John write that we may know? You understand what I'm saying? He's writing to talk to Christians who have doubts that they might get rid of those doubts. It's possible to be saved and have doubts, 
Now, doubts are not good, but there is a bright side to doubts. And what I mean by that, if I could put, put it this way, doubt is to your spirit what pain is to your body. You see, you couldn't feel pain if you're alive, right? If you have life. Now, pain is the signal that something is wrong in your body. Doubt is the signal that there's something wrong in your spirit. Doubt to the spirit is what pain to your body. Now, I'm not trying to say pain is good or doubt is good, but it's a signal. It's a warning signal. And John was trying to do was clear out those doubts. Why? Why is it important to clear up this doubt? Because it's very important. It's, it's important to soul winning. It's important in service. You are, some people say you shouldn't preach or about eternal security or assurance of salvation because that gives people, they become too lax. But you see, the assurance of your salvation in Christian life is the base that you work from. Is the base that you work from. See, when I know my future is secure... I can focus on the present. It's important to soul winning. What kind of person says, hey, come follow me. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't have assurance of my salvation, but come follow Jesus. Listen to what you want people to follow as people follow Paul and people follow Jesus. But look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12. I'm not ashamed for whom I may believe that I'm persuaded he's able to keep that I have committed to him until that day. I'm not ashamed. I'm confident in my salvation. Why would he's going to do it? So he wrote this book so you might have assurance that you may know, not hope, not wish, not anything else, but you might know that you have eternal life. And again, we have difficulty with doubt, but what we need is a strong faith, right? Someone wrote these words, doubt sees obstacles, faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers I. Now, we need to possess a faith, but it's more than that. And I've said this before. It's more than that. We need the faith that possesses us. So with that in mind, this morning I want to take, us, take an assurance test. And this test has three separate tests. And this test will show you it's a benchmark or a birthmark, as it were, of your salvation. The first test is the lordship test. So look at 1 John 2, 3, uh, verses 3 to 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You know, John doesn't mince words here. He just tells you the way he thinks. Doesn't beat around the bush. John was the apostle of love, but he can lay down the hammer if he has to. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know, sometimes I picture there was like maybe a testimonial. Sometimes the churches, they have a service where it's a testimonial service and somebody gets up and talks about how they're saved and so forth and glad they're saved. And John gets up and says, you're a liar. I know the way you live. You're not keeping his commandments. You're lying. Listen, he goes on to verses 5 through 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. 
By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, Jesus. Now, logic here is impeccable. If I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm going to be walking and talking like Jesus. And of course, Jesus keeps the commandments of God. So the person who says that he's safe who doesn't keep his commandments is lying. That is what John says. He says, I don't care what church you belong to. I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care what kind of experience you had at the altar. Look again in John, uh, 1 John 2.4. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a lie, and the truth is not him. So let me ask you a question. How many in this building, ever since you've been saved, kept every commandment of God? Since you've been saved, you kept every commandment of God. Never broke one. None of us, right? None of us. Well, wait a minute. Does this mean we're a church of all unsaved people here? Look, in John 2, 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You see, I studied this word keep. And this keep word in the original language is a sailor's term or mariner's term. Back in the day, uh, when they sailed the seas... Does anybody know how they would steer? They would steer by the stars. So the captain of the ship had to keep with the stars. So this, that is the commandments of God. They're going to be the standard, but what I chart my life to be, my course to be. In order my life by the commandments, this does not mean, of course, a man on the high seas would not be blown off course, right? We know a lot of shipwrecks happen. It doesn't mean that he might not oversteer. It doesn't mean that he might not fall asleep at the wheel or get somehow get distracted, somehow fail to keep the perfect chart. But the goal, the goal, the aim, the desire, and the controlling factor of our lives are those stars. It's those commandments. It is the same way with the commandments of God. It, those, every born-again Christian, that, that is our desire. And again, I was talking to Dan here early in the morning. We briefly talked about it. The Bible does not teach sinless perfection. Nowhere you would find sinless perfection. But that's only Jesus. But the Bible does teach we have no right to call ourselves the children of God if we don't care for any of those commandments. If we do not order our lives but the commandments of God. Look at six, uh, Luke 6.46 says this. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? You see, there's no such thing as I want a Savior, but I don't want Lordship. You believe on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You make Christ your Lord of your life. He's already Lord, but you make Him your Lord. You receive Him as the Lord. And I tell you, friends, there's lots of people in churches today that walk down the aisle, shake hands with pastors, they just join churches like they're joining a country club. Where do I sign up? I just like the pastor, I just like the people, and I'll just pay my monthly, monthly dues. But there's no regeneration, there's no change in the life. They live the same ungodly lives as they did before. And I'll tell you, those people have no reason to believe that they're going to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. Again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. What I'm trying to tell you is the aim, the goal of your life will be to live according to the word of God, according to the commandments of this book. Now, this is the way we know that we know if we keep his commandments. That is, again, we chart our lives by God's word. Look at John, 1 John 3, 6. It says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Again, John doesn't mince words here. Look at verses uh, uh, 3 through 9. I'm sorry, uh, 8 through 9. 1 John 3, 3, 8 through 9. He continues, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, and he had to destroy the works of the devil, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And if you think that's tough, you know, he who senses of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. See that in verse 9? Now watch this. Why? For his seed remains in him. What is that seed? That's the nature of God. The nature of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Well, wait a minute. If I'm trying to convince you of assurance of your salvation, I'm probably not doing a very good job using these texts, right? If we say in 1 John 1.8, it says, follow me here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I want you to notice one thing here. John includes himself in that. You see, he said that we, if we say, not you or they, we, he's including himself. Jen was talking about himself. And then just go to 1 John 1.10, verse 110, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is it not, not in us. Flip over to 1 John 2.1, it says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, it says, if anyone sins. But go back to 1 John 3, 9. It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. Isn't that a contradiction? First, it says, Christian, it's impossible for the Christian to sin. But then he says, if we have sinned, we deceive ourselves and so forth. Reading this may cause you to think, John, just make up your mind. Which one is it? But what he's saying is, a man that is born of God, or a woman, brother in Christ, or sister in Christ, does not habitually practice sin. The person that is born of God cannot habitually practice sin. He cannot make sin his lifestyle. Again, I'm going to point out, not sinless perfection. But on the other hand, he's not talking about a life of libertine, a person who is a church member who has no change in his life, in his lifestyle. You see, I mentioned this before. Before I got saved, I was running to sin. When I got saved, I'm running from sin. But sometimes sin does catch up and I fall down. But with God's help and his mercy, I get back up. And what do I do? I keep on running. I keep on running. He's talking... Look, look at it. Why, why is that in a true Christian, when a born-again Christian? Why does he do that? 
Because for his seed, his seed remains in him. What is that germ of life? What is that seed? It came from above. You are born of God. You are a partaker in his divine nature. And what's the divine nature of God? Holiness. God is holy. So you're always going to have this spiritual battle on the inside. Now, if you can sin willfully, knowingly, deliberately, habitually, and not feel any conviction, no compunction, no sorrow, no grief, no nothing, no remorse, I'm going to tell you, my friend, you are not saved. You need to get saved. By this that we know, that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, again, we're not saved because of we keep his commandments. But we keep his commandments because we are saved. Salvation is by grace alone, not commandment keeping. So we're talking about we've been saved. We're going to keep his commandments. And the second test I want to give is the fellowship test. So first test is, do you have desire? Are you setting your life by his commandments? Is that your guide when you're making plans in your life? The second test is the fellowship test. Turn to 1 John 3, 14 through 15. And it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, he's telling us how we know we have eternal life. How do we know we are saved? You love the brethren. Look at 1 John 4.20. It says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother from who he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Then look again in 1 John 5. In verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves who he's begotten of him. It's clearly telling us that the birthmark of the believer is the love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you see, when I'm saved, I want to be right with my brothers. Not only right with them and brothers and sisters, I want to be with my brothers and sisters. You see, when we, we, we love the Heavenly Father, you're going to love His children. You're going to love His children. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's one of the traits of a twice-born uh, believer. It's a test. Have you ever heard somebody, hey, you don't have to go to church to worship God? A lot of people are saying that these days, and that's true. But have you ever heard anybody say, you can worship God just as well without going to church? And I'll tell you, that's false. That's false. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Even watching by internet technology these days, listening to podcasts, all those things have their place. Or by radio, it's no substitute from being with the saints. I'll tell you a story. You know, when I was younger, when I first started out in ministry, and, and you know, God works in mysterious ways, but, you know, my father used to go to these pastor conferences and so forth, and he would 
he would always travel by car. He wouldn't take a plane or anything like that. And again, he worked third shift. And I, I see that sometimes he was working at Honda. He will drive home. He'll hit a mailbox because he fell asleep. So really, I started feeling bad for my dad. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to drive. You sleep in the car. And I never, never really wanted to go to those conferences or talk to these pastors or be in their midst, you know. But when I got there, and, and it, was, it was almost like every time before I go, I always have to fight it. I want to go, but, I, you know, I love my dad, you know, I gotta, but I don't want to do anything with those people, you know. They're so annoying. And, and, but, but when I get there, when I get there, the edification I get, when I leave with being in the group of people who have one mind, they love God, worship, and how much I learned that I'm using today. So it's no excuse for not being with the saints. It's not the same. And you see, one of the reasons you're going to love your brothers and sisters is because of what you are as a Christian. But the second reason is what they are. Who are they? So let me tell you what church is. Well, looks like I skipped a step. We're talking about saints. Let me get back to that a little bit. As I studied the word saints, being with the saints, worshiping with the saints, your brothers and sisters, saint is never used singularly in the New Testament. It's always being with the saints. It's always multiple. So even... Remember when Jesus was teaching them how to pray? How did he teach them how to pray? In Matthew 6, 9, he said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, not my Father, not their Father, our Father. So that's the fellowship test. And I'll tell you, because of the nature of the Christian, nature of the church, and again, the nature of the church is the nature of God. Look with me in uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4, and verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, if God is love, and I have the nature of God in me, I'm going to have love in me. The Bible describes the church, the saints, in two ways. Well, more than two ways, but two ways that I'm going to be talking about this morning. First, we're called the body of Christ, and then the church is also the bride of Christ. Look with me in a couple of, a couple of verses. Ephesians 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the body what? The church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he may have preeminence. Colossians 1.24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh that lacking in affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, I want to point out that Jesus and church, Jesus Christ and church are not identical, but they're not, they're inseparable. If you take the head from the body, what do you have? You have a dead corpse. So don't be silly and say, I love Lord Jesus, but I don't love to be with the saints and I don't love to be the church. You can't say that. 
Look at Ephesians 5.29. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's his body. So listen, Jesus loves his body, which is the church, and we're the body of Christ. So if you love Christ, you're going to love what? What Christ loves. You're going to love the church. We are the members of the body. Remember when uh, Saul was persecuting the church and, and, and God stopped him in Acts 26, 41? In Acts 26, 14, I'm sorry. It says, and then we had fallen to the ground. I hear a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul could have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. But you see, you have to understand that they're inseparable. Christ and the church is inseparable. When you love the church, you love Jesus. When you honor the church, you honor Jesus. When you neglect the church, you neglect Jesus. We are the members of his body. And I'll tell you, another way you can get anybody's attention that's married is how you treat their bride, right? The church is a bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought with his own blood. The Bible says we are his body. We are his bride. So how dare can anyone say of us say, I am saved, I love Jesus, but I don't love his bride, I don't love the people inside the church, I don't love the church or people inside the church. We all know also, and point this out, that not all brothers and sisters in Christ are lovely, right? Or lovely. But do you ever get annoyed with your family members? I do. Some of the family members annoy me. I know I never annoy them. But sometimes the family annoy me. They upset me. They irritate me. But I love them. Church members may annoy us sometimes. They irritate us. Sometimes we have disagreements. But as somebody said, to dwell there above with those that we love, that will be glory. But to live here below with those that we know... That's another story. But we love them. We love them because the nature of God is in us, and the nature of God is what? Love. And one way to know that you're saved is, folks, and it may sound a little corny, but I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Christians everywhere I meet them. That's one birthmark of a believer. And the last test is the relationship test I want to give you. Now, salvation is a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. He who believes in the Son, in a, of Son, uh, Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, again, that you have eternal life. And that you may what? Continue to believe in the uh, name of the Son of God. Now here he's talking about the relationship with Jesus. He's talking about having... The Son, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word believe in the Bible means commitments. It means trust. Now the question is, are you believing on Jesus? 
Now I want to say something. So, you know, sometimes people misquote me, but I want you uh, to kind of follow me, understand me. So lend me your ears here for a second. Nowhere in the Bible I can find where the Bible tells us to look back to some experience for the assurance of your salvation. For the assurance of your salvation. You see, it does not say these things that have written unto you that you believe, past tense. This is present tense. If you read it, it says present tense. The Bible doesn't deal with what happened with you in the past for your assurance. This is present tense. Things that have written to you that you believe. Not believed, but believe. And continue to believe. It's in the present tense. Those who believe right now. That's the way you know you have assurance of your salvation. He who believes. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you're not believing on Jesus today, you're not saved. Now, if you're not believing on Jesus, or if you are believing on Jesus, what does that mean? Then you did believe. You did believe. Because it's impossible to be believing on Him without having believed on Him. Does that make sense? Let me put it this way. Some people that are married. Did you get married or are you married right now? Well, you're married. But I guarantee you, you didn't get that way, right? You got married first, but today you are married. Have you ever met a person that hasn't darkened the church halls or the doors for 40 years? They're living an unchristian life. And you're like, well, I know what the problem is. I'm going to go and witness to that person. And you start talking about Christ and so forth, and they stop you and say, well, wait a minute. When I was nine years old, I walked down the aisle and I accepted Jesus and so forth. So I'm saved. But let me tell you something. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that that's the thing is true for your salvation. The question is not what you did when you were a nine-year-old boy. Are you a saved person right now? Sitting in the seat this morning. What you did in the past, if you did believe, you will still believe. If you were, are believing, you did believe. But the proof is right now in the present tense. And if you paid attention, everything that we talked about today, lordship, the, uh, the fellowship test, let's go back to it. It's all in present tense. 1 John 2.3 says, Now by this that we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Not kept his commandments. Keep. It's an ongoing process. In 1 John 3.14, when we're talking about loving brothers and sisters, it says uh, in 1 John 3.14, we love the brethren. Not loved. Not in past tense. It says love the brethren. And the proof, dear friend, is right now. Do you have faith in your heart? Is there a trust and commitment to Jesus Christ right now? Is there a relationship? And you know how you know that? 1 John 5.10 says, He who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given him his Son. There's a witness. There's a witness. Not something that's happened in the past. A witness inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Is it telling you that you're this daughter or brother? 
So the person that's here this morning is the best proof I know whenever you're saved or lost. I mean, is the person sitting in the seat this morning, ask yourself, are you committed? Again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Are you committed to the commandments of Jesus Christ? Are you the person whose heart overflowing with love for Christ in the church? Are you a person that has confidence, that faith, and that commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? If you said yes to those things, that's the person, John says, without a doubt, can say, I know I am saved, regardless of what else is going on in your life. And friends, the reason I preached this message this morning is for two reasons. I preach first to help those that, who are saved, but may have some doubts, and need to get it together. You are saved. You know the future is secure, so focus on the present. But I also preached it for another reason, because I don't want to give false assurance to some people who have never been saved. One of the devil's favorite tricks is to get your name on the church roster and church membership without ever having been born again. And if you're not strong, if you have... If you've got strong, serious doubts about your salvation, don't stonewall the Holy Spirit. Take it to God. Because the things we're dealing with here is eternity. I'm not talking to you about some little peccadillo. I'm not talking to you about some dominational you know, preference here, Baptist preference or so forth. We're talking about eternal life. And I want to tell you that Loving the brothers and sisters, keeping the commandments, it's not something that you do to be saved. It's something that you do because you are saved. And John says that's the way you can know. Do you know that you are saved today, this morning? If you're not sure, apply these tests over and over. And if you still have doubts, pray to the Lord. Pray to the God, Lord. Pray to Him. I'm not sure, but I want to be. And you will have the witness on inside that will witness to. Friend, I want everybody to be saved. So if you have doubts, pray to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus can save you today. And the Bible says this in Romans 8.16. Pretty much the same thing as John. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us these tests this morning. Some of us struggle with doubt, and I was one of those people too a while back, struggling and doubting my salvation, never good enough, never perfect enough. But thank you for these words that clarify you. You're not looking for sinless perfection, but it's the direction of our lives that we're going. And I thank you for this word that gives us assurance of that, and that we can move forward. We can witness. We can do all kinds of things in our church. And I thank you for this church again and for everyone that stepped up in doing your work and glorifying your name. And I ask that you be with us in your Holy Spirit as we go our separate ways this Sunday afternoon. Keep us and keep this word in our hearts and our minds. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.